All right, if you would please open in the Bible to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 43 on page 885 in the Pew Bible. You'll also find it in the bulletin, and of course you can look it up on your smartphone or whatever you do to look up the Bible. We're going to look this morning at Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 49. If you would please stand. Then Jesus said to the disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for this chance to be together this morning. We pray that you would please send your sovereign spirit upon us, that you would open our ears and our hearts, and give us grace, Father, that we might hear your word, believe it, Obey it and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm a hopeless Anglophile. Uh, I always love things English, and uh, I'm very excited about this week. Some of you may be as excited as I am. This is the week when the new King of England, Charles III, will be um, enthroned. He'll he'll have his coronation. And it's very interesting and very significant that it's in the context of a Christian worship service. Uh, It always has been uh, in the Church of England. The English uh, crown has always been uh, conferred in the context of a Christian worship service. And it's a beautiful service. Uh, There are things I would do differently if they asked me to be in charge. Uh, But it's a beautiful service. There's a lot of Bible in it. And one of the most significant points in it, by the way, I should mention uh, that I have here one of my prized possessions. It is a book of common prayer uh, from the coronation of Edward VII. Edward VII, uh, who was uh, consecrated, who was enthroned in 1902, and they made these beautiful leather-bound prayer books and distributed them to the people who were there in the congregation. It's a beautiful, beautiful edition and I love it very much. And, and the, the prayer book, unlike most prayer books, opens with the, the, the service of coronation. So it's in this prayer book. It doesn't usually appear. You can find it online, of course. But it's printed here in the prayer book. And I remember when I got this, I got this many, many years ago. And uh, when I was reading my way through the coronation service, which I'd never heard of, I was struck by uh, a part of the service, which I didn't know was there, and which I want to tell you about this morning, you may know about this, maybe you don't, many people don't, uh, but the, immediately after the king is crowned and he receives the, the scepter and the sword and he receives the crown, immediately after that, which is the sort of the, the main content of the coronation itself, immediately after that, the very next thing that happens is uh, a representative of the church 
steps forward and puts in the king's hands a copy of the Bible. It's called the presentation of the scriptures. The very first gift that is presented to the king upon his coronation, and this has happened uh, since uh, the 1600s, the very first gift that the king receives is a copy of the Bible. And when it's presented to him, and this year it's being presented in this coronation uh, by the moderator of the Church of Scotland, the Presbyterian Church, which is interesting. Uh, When they present the Bible to the king, this is what he says. We present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. By lively, he means living. The living oracles of God. That's very significant to me that in this beautiful ceremony, a service of Christian worship marking a landmark national event, a landmark global event, uh, that right in the middle of it is this acknowledgement of the central role of the Bible. Not only for those in great and important positions, but for all of us. This is God's living word. And it's interesting that the best gift that can be given to a king has been given to us. This is God's great gift to us. His living oracles, his living word that is meant to give us life and help us give life to others. Well, it's interesting that providentially all these things come about at the same time because this week we're picking up in Luke 24 where the Lord is giving his last words to his disciples. He is at the end of the chapter. uh, Next Sunday we'll read about this. He will be leaving them. And so this is part of his farewell to them. Uh, In fact, the, the first part of Luke 24, all the way down through uh, verse 43, all of that happens more or less in the first day. Luke 24, 1 to 43 uh, happens more or less on that first Easter Sunday, a long late night. And verse 44 is a part of the Lord's conversation with his disciples and it the way it's written and and I'll give you some clues as we go along this suggests that this is maybe the summary to his disciples of what he wants to say to them as he prepares to go to ascend into heaven as we prayed earlier John reminded us that the Lord Jesus is now enthroned in heaven And so this section, this paragraph, sums up, gives voice to Jesus' parting words to his disciples. And it shouldn't surprise us that in Jesus' last words to his disciples, right at the middle of it, is the Bible. His last words to his disciples are about the Bible. So I'd like for us to think about that this morning. I've got uh, five different points in this summary statement of Jesus' farewell to his disciples. 
I think these five points would be very, very helpful to us. And by the way, they'll be very helpful to Colin and to Sarah and to those who are going to be boldly launching a new church plant. I've helped plant a church. It is not easy work. And so we're going to be praying for you guys. And it's, I think, providentially wonderful that as you prepare to do this, Colin, as you and your team prepare to do this, this last Sunday at Metrocrest, we're going to be focused like a laser beam on God's word. It's central to the Christian life. So I'd like you to look at with me five different points. You'll find an outline in the, in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along. It'll sort of help make sure we wind up in the same place at the same time. Uh, on page nine, you'll see an outline, Jesus and Holy Scripture. And I, I want to uh, just draw your attention to these five points. Number one, Jesus speaks. Number two, Jesus explains. Number three, Jesus opens minds. Number four, Jesus commissions. And number five, finally, Jesus empowers. First of all, Jesus speaks. You know, one of the great claims of Christianity is that we have a God who speaks to us. That is true from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. It's true throughout the Old Testament. It's throughout the New Testament that we worship a God who speaks to us. And as Christians, we believe that God has supremely spoken to us through his son, through his words, through his life. Jesus is God's word enfleshed. And so here in the final moments, if you will, of Jesus' time with his disciples, as we think about our life in Christ, it is essential, it is central for us to understand that the, the Lord Jesus Christ whom we worship, the resurrected Jesus Christ, speaks to us. He speaks to us. And so these are the simple words, verse 44. Then Jesus said to them. He spoke to them. You know, we get so used to thinking about Jesus and we're used to thinking about the Bible. We're used to thinking about the resurrection. That we can begin to lose a sense of awe that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, who had been crucified on the cross, who has been raised from death to new and never-ending life, that Jesus speaks. He wants to communicate. He, he wants to be understood. So he speaks. And that, brothers and sisters, is, the, is at the heart of our faith as Christians. We believe a God who has spoken to us. And Jesus here speaks to his disciples. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Uh, if you would, flip over to Luke chapter 1. Sorry, Acts chapter 1, not Luke. Acts chapter 1. Luke wrote the book of Acts, just like he wrote the book of Luke. And if you look at Acts chapter 1, look down to, uh, uh, if you would, down to uh, um, verse 3. This is Luke at the beginning of Acts describing what he's told us about in Luke 24. It says, Jesus presented himself alive to the disciples after his suffering by many proofs. And we read about some of those proofs in Luke 24 and, and throughout the other Gospels. We read about these proofs that Jesus gave to his disciples, appearing to them during 40 days. 
and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Acts chapter 24 verses 1 to 43 describe that first day when he does appear to the disciples and he does give proof of his resurrection. He says, see my hands, see my feet, see that it is I, touch me. He presents himself with proofs and according to Luke in Acts chapter 3, Jesus also spoke to them. And what Jesus spoke to them about is summarized in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 49. This is a summary of what Jesus taught his disciples in these 40 days, 49 days. Uh, Resurrection Sunday, then 49 days leading to uh, his Ascension followed by the season of Pentecost. So he was with them for 40 days. So 39 days of teaching are summarized in verses 44 to 49. 39 days of a, of a personal Bible study with Jesus. I mean, the, the mind boggles to imagine. Uh, 39 intensive days of Bible study with Jesus. Where he, according to Luke... Acts 1, uh, taught and spoke about the kingdom of God. So flip back to Luke's gospel. Jesus speaks. He, he speaks to his disciples. And here we read the summary of what he spoke to them about. So point one, Jesus speaks. Praise God, we have a God who in and through Christ speaks to us. He wants to be understood. He wants to speak to us. And he speaks to us still. Point two, Jesus speaks. Point two, Jesus explains. Look at the second half of verse 44. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What did Jesus speak to the disciples about? Well, Jesus spoke to them about the fulfillment of, of everything the Old Testament had said about God's promises to his people. That's what Jesus was speaking to them about over 39 days as he he taught them the scriptures. It was a Bible study with a very particular purpose. It was a Bible study to help them to understand that Jesus came to fulfill all of the promises of God that we find throughout the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, God had made promises to Israel. God had made promises to his covenant people. God had said things about the world and how he intended to bless the world. Well, Jesus wants the disciples to know, and through the disciples, you and I now know, that everything and all the promises of God in the Old Testament, all of that is fulfilled for us in Christ. Either it's inaugurated, The fulfillment is begun or it is brought to completion in Christ. And so for 39 days, Jesus opened the scriptures to the disciples. Actually, he's already done it. If you look up the page to Luke chapter 24, verse 27, you'll see that on that first day, on Easter Sunday, 
uh, as he was walking with his disciples to Emmaus, it says, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So actually, even before he begins this intensive Bible study, he has already begun to explain to them the significance, the scriptural significance, the living significance of Jesus' life, his ministry, his death on the cross, his resurrection. He spoke to his disciples. So if you want to know where we get the rest of the New Testament, it flows in large part from this 40-day intensive Bible study. As Jesus opened the Bible to the disciples, they, aided by the Holy Spirit, directed by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, they teach us. So it's Jesus' teaching delivered to us through the apostles. Jesus' teaching, interpreting, explaining what the Bible says about Jesus through the apostles to you and me. So this morning, as we open our Bibles, what we're actually getting is Jesus' teaching through the disciples to us. That's very, very significant for us as Christians. Christianity is not something that we invent. Christianity is not something the apostles wished for and came up with on their own. There are many clues to that. When you read through the New Testament, you realize this is not the work of someone who wanted to deceive. This is not the work of someone who only wanted to put forward the positive bits. They were led by the Spirit to be truthful about their missteps. They were led by the Spirit to be truthful about their lack of understanding. They recorded those things. That, to me, is evidence that this is not a propaganda tract. This is God speaking to us through Jesus, through the apostles, as Jesus explains to us how he fulfills all the Old Testament said. Uh, On Friday of this past week, uh, I went to a very interesting conference called... uh, the, old, the use of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Uh, it was taught by uh, my Greek one, Greek one and two professor, uh, who uh, Colton and uh, and uh, I have, have been able to uh, study Greek with him. Greg Beal is his name, and uh, Dr. Beal has a specialty in this. He is very very interested in showing how Christ fulfills the Old Testament. And we went, we went from 8 a.m. to 8:30 p.m reflecting on how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. I mean, it felt very apostolic to me as we, were, as we were opening our Bibles. We were learning how Jesus fulfills promises all the way back in the book of Genesis. And not just the well-known ways in which he fulfills. And we actually dug in fairly deeply as Dr. Bill helped us to spot the thousands, the thousands of points of contact between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It certainly enriched my own understanding of the New Testament. I think it will help me be a better preacher. Understanding how the Old Testament illuminates and helps us to understand the New Testament. And how the New Testament illuminates and helps us to understand the Old Testament. Because it all finds its key in Christ. 
It finds its key in Christ. Dr. Beale made the point that every single verse of the Old Testament, even the verses that show errors and mistakes, the Old Testament is also remarkably true and remarkably transparent about sin and missteps and foolish things God's covenant people did. It has a lot to say about those things. Even those points actually point towards Christ. The things Israel did not accomplish underscores what Christ did accomplish. The things that Israel did not do, Jesus did. And the New Testament writers at times go to great lengths to show us that, to help us to understand, not making up events. These are, I believe, true stories. But how these true stories help us to understand how Jesus fulfills all of God's promises. Jesus explains that to us, and I'm so grateful that he does. So grateful that as a Christian, you and I can open the Bible and we can learn what Jesus is teaching about himself as we read and study, as we read and study together. Reading your study by yourself is a great thing, but let me tell you, there's, there's no replacement for gathering with God's people Sunday by Sunday, week by week, to study God's word together. How the things that you're learning will help me and the things I'm learning will help you. The things we're all learning together will help all of us. And all the things we learn together will shape how we live out our Christian life. Jesus explains to his disciples. And it's, it's striking to me that that's the last thing Jesus does. According to Luke, that's the last thing Jesus does. Is he takes weeks to teach his disciples, to help them to understand. He explains. Now, Luke 24, verses 45 through 47, explain a part of that process. And this is also important for us to understand. After Jesus has explained about uh, how the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms are fulfilled in Jesus. They must be fulfilled in Jesus. Verse 45 says, Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Um, apart from Jesus opening our minds, uh, we are not going to find what Jesus is explaining. You know, uh, I really do pray that on next Saturday when the new King of England is enthroned, I really do pray that the Holy Spirit will bless him. I have hopes for that. I have a lot of questions about that, and I frankly have some concerns about that. Very, very deep concerns, things uh, that uh, he has said and done that do not, to me, suggest that his mind has been opened fully. Uh, from a, a, a heritage that goes back a millennia, whose ancestors have received this Bible again and again and again and again, yet we find another illustration of how naturally, on our own, we are resistant to God's word. On our own, we rebel against God's word. On our own, we do not want to obey God's word. We don't even want to hear God's word. So Jesus had to open their minds. 
And he had to open their minds to understand. The Bible is is a book with words written on a page. But the Holy Spirit is required to give us true understanding. Calvin wrote a lot about this. He was really the theologian of the Holy Spirit. He taught that it's the Holy Spirit's job to open the Bible to us, to open God's word to us, to make God's word relevant to us, to us, to make God's word something we actually love. Even when we don't understand it, we, we love it. That's, that's part of what it means to be a Christian. It's something we're all learning to do. We don't all start at 10 on the dial. We, we, we make our way there as the Spirit works within us, as the Spirit transforms us and grants us repentance and transformation. Over time, God's Word becomes more and more rich to us, more and, for, more and more meaningful to us. There are moments when it happens a huge step overnight. And there are other times, and I've got a lot of experience with this, where the growth, growth is microscopic almost. You'd have to have a spiritual magnifying glass in my life to see the evidence of of God's word in my life. The the living, lively oracles of God in my life aren't always immediately clear, invisible. And the Christian life is like that. But the Holy Spirit is how Jesus pries open our cold, resistant hearts and gives us grace to, to... Heed God's word, to love God's word, obey it, to rejoice in it. Let me show you one little cross-reference. Flip over a few pages to the Gospel of John. John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Here it's earlier, it's before he makes his way to the cross. But here in John's Gospel, we read something that Jesus has to say about this process. Look at... uh, Well, beginning at verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. That's virtually a quote of Luke 24. I've spoken these things to you while I am still with you. But but notice what he says in verse 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. If you um, look back at uh, Luke 24 and look up at verse, uh, verse, four, verse 6 of uh, Luke 24, what the angel says to Jesus, um, he is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Virtually the the first words out of the angel's mouth. He is not here. He is risen. Remember what Jesus said. The angel is helping the disciples there at the tomb to understand what they on their own do not understand. Uh, Look a little further down at verse 8. They remembered Jesus' words. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth by reminding us of what Jesus has said, what Jesus has done, how Jesus in the Old Testament fulfills all of God's promises. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He he opens our minds and gives us grace that we can remember Jesus' words and we can come to understand what Jesus has said to us. 
I am praying for that for uh, Charles and his family. But I'm praying that for all of us. I'm praying that all of us will have our minds increasingly open. That if our minds are closed, that God will open our minds. That if our minds are still resistant, that God graciously would open our hearts more and more and more and open our minds more and more and more so that we might truly understand what the Bible tells us about Jesus and the significance it has for us. I was uh, just talking to uh, Scott Kimbrough a minute ago. He was talking about the, the riches of theological study and how wonderful it is to, to look back and see in the Old Testament all these glimmers of Christ and the, the many, many, many examples of how something in the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament, how exciting that is, and how it's possible for that to just be a dead end. It's possible to have a great theology so far as it goes and to just stop there. The church can turn into a kind of theological debating society where the whole emphasis is on our getting more and more fine-tuned, clearer and clearer on our doctrine. Uh, The church has a long history of that. The Presbyterian church has a bit of a history of that, that, that. That understanding is meant to lead to lives that do something. Which is why Jesus, as soon as he opens their minds, look what he does in verse 48. Actually, back up to verse 47. He's describing what the scriptures say. He said to them that it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And verse 47, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. The apostles had a specific commission. Jesus commissions his disciples. They are not to be a theological debating society. They are to be a mission community. They take what they have been taught and share it with others. They share the good news that God in Christ has sent his son to die and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed by those who have been taught that Jesus has died and that the gospel should be proclaimed. Uh, That it's to be in his name and it's to be to all nations. Sharon, it's to Ethiopia. It It is to the entire world, isn't it? This is a message not just for English speaking people with a long history of interaction with Christian theology. It's not only for for people who live around us. That's could you could say our Jerusalem. Uh, It's it's for those beyond us. It includes the whole world, the nations. That was a dismissive term among the Jews, the, the Gentiles, the nations. They they were brutish and ignorant and not to be uh, engaged with. They were keep them at arm's length. Don't let certainly don't let them into the temple. But Jesus here in Jerusalem says that he has a message that he is entrusting to his disciples that he calls them witnesses and and they have the commission 
by Jesus to take this gospel to all the nations. And the second volume of Luke's work, Luke is the gospel he wrote, Acts is the history he wrote of the church and its interaction with the work of Jesus, how Jesus continues his work in the world through those whom he has commissioned to take this message of hope and forgiveness to the whole world. That's the commission that's been entrusted to us. So it's not just a theology to debate. It is a theology to proclaim. It is good news. And it will will shape the way we do everything. So Jesus commissions his disciples. He teaches them. He opens their minds to understand. And he commissions them. And brothers and sisters... As disciples today, we share in that commissioning. The apostles understood themselves. I guess it's part of their 39-day intensive Bible study. They understood themselves as as passing a message along from Jesus to us for us to pass along to the world. That's Jesus' commission of the apostles lived out through the church today through the likes of you and me. One of the things I love about Collins Church Plan is it's called open door. That's, that's a Bible term. In Revelation, God places before the church an open door. Well, may God commission you guys to boldly and faithfully proclaim the resurrected Jesus Christ and his saving, life-giving word. That's my prayer for Colin and Sarah and Open Door Church. That is my prayer for us here at Metrocrest. That's my prayer for the PCA. That's my prayer for all those churches up and down Hebron Road that, that Josh just led us in praying for, that we would all, all of us, share in proclaiming Jesus' life-giving word, the very living oracles of the living God, and that we would share that good news with the whole world. Finally, in verse 49, Jesus adds to this important idea. He says in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. By the way, the Greek word for witness is martyr. And many of them went on to martyrdom. They they literally gave the witness of their life. Being a proclaimer of the gospel involves suffering. It may cost us our life. And so in verse 49, Jesus tells us how a weak, stumbling, inadequate witness like Bill Lovell can hope, can even hope to hear and understand and obey Jesus' words. Well, verse 49 tells us, Behold, he says, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Brothers and sisters, we would be foolish to attempt to do Jesus' mission, to live out the commission he gives us without the power he gives us. The season of Easter ends on Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday, 10 days after the Thursday of the Ascension, Pentecost 
reminds us, and we'll be thinking about this in a couple of weeks, Pentecost reminds us of the sovereign, supernatural power that Jesus unloads on the church. He sends the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit opens God's word and helps us to remember what Jesus has said and then gives us grace to hear it and obey it, rejoice in it, and to do it. And he opens doors. He still opens doors. He gives opportunities. He helps us to see how you and I, miserable sinners that we are, can be a part of this great witness that Jesus has entrusted to his church. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us pray for the Spirit to give us passion for the gospel, to move us beyond debating theology, to living out what we believe, what we have been taught, to living that out in word and deed, not just on Sunday mornings from 10.15 to whenever the preacher shuts up, but for seven days a week, 24 hours a day, to be living out our witness in Christ. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the giftedness of the Holy Spirit. People talk about all kinds of special things, and I've had those debates, and I'm happy to talk to people about those. But you know what the real power of the Holy Spirit is? It is manifested when a trembling, um, inadequate sinner opens his or her mouth and says, I believe in Jesus. I trust in Jesus. Here's why in the context of a real human relationship. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes from our hearts that look at Jesus and trust Jesus and believe that when he says, he's going to empower us. He empowered the church on the first Pentecost. He did it in a way that we're able to look back and marvel at, fire miraculous displays. He did it so that we couldn't miss it. And now we live it out. That is the resurrected Christ. That is Jesus in Scripture. That is Jesus empowering His church to take the living oracles of God to a dying and dead world, hope, promise, a future, a glorious new creation, all in the resurrected Christ. He is the embodiment of all God's promises to this day. And he empowers us to proclaim him.